what do you feel about the concept of the glass ceiling? Do you, do you and and perhaps the concept of the the glass cliff? Going up. Hey, so my name is Jennifer, and I work at a marketing technology company. When I got into this business more than 25 years ago, it was not cool to be an out lesbian, never mind in a leadership position, but pretty much anywhere in corporate Canada. I don't know if it's in spite of that or because of that, but early on, I figured out that being my authentic self at work was the only way for me to be. Uh, That presented some challenges along the way, but also a really rewarding and successful career. I may still have a few pointy shards stuck in my knuckles from some early ceiling cracking, but I really still enjoy hearing that glass shattering, no matter who's doing it. First floor. My name is Natasha Subramani. Um, I work in human resources as a talent development manager. My thoughts on the glass ceiling, it's uh, I think interesting because I didn't really view it as anything um, really, because I was much more keenly aware of color as an impediment to success um, and a reason that I would get judged. And so gender didn't really enter my sphere of consciousness in that way until much later on. And I think uh, I started to get a gist of it in my early professional career, particularly because uh, for a good portion of it, I worked in the IT industry. And I could sort of see how male-dominated that world was. Um, luckily, I work in a in a profession that's quite female-dominated, so I didn't ever feel like I didn't have support and sisterhood, quote unquote. But um, certainly in the in my role in working with leaders, I absolutely worked, you know, much much more with men than women, and of course in the IT industry. Uh, A lot less now, I would say, but when I started off, definitely there was a very uh, visible lack of women. Um, But as I said, I think my race always played more um, as a narrative for me than my gender. Um, And what do I think we, we can do to overcome it? I think like any social issue that is ingrained in us that is institutionalized, that has such strong emotions and generations of thought surrounding it. It's not going to be a simple solution. But one of the things that I personally have become very aware of, particularly um, with the birth of my son, is the role that men play in helping change that narrative. And those who hold positions of power are to bear the burden as much as we have been placing it on those that are not in power to break glass ceilings, to challenge norms, to open up opportunities. So those are my thoughts. And I hope to raise a son that won't even think twice um, about promoting a woman and encouraging a woman, um, particularly because he won't even see it as encouraging a woman, but just, you know, idealistically the best person. Good morning. 
good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is meant to shed light on undertold stories out of Africa. Our vision is to introduce you to some extraordinary people doing incredible things, and to ultimately change the lens through which African and Africans are seen. My name is Kundwani Mwase, and today's episode, The President's Club, features my conversation with two thoughtful and measured female executives. You'll hear from Chidioko Akunyeli, the founder of She Roars, an organization dedicated to the empowerment of women. You'll also hear my conversation with Meryl Africa, who, among other things, is the president of the CAUFP. The CAUFP is an organization dedicated to helping uplift the lives and careers of urban professionals. It is based in Toronto. I was tempted to give each of these women space for their own episode. I opted instead to give them both oxygen on what I feel may be one of the most important themes to date, that of women in leadership. These two are titans, thoughtful, inspiring, and inclusive. They've earned the spotlight that's found them. I've elected to unite them in one piece so as to amplify their voices. My choices aside, I hope you'll glean as much from this as I have. Here, in part, is our collective conversation. This this probably will be super quick, but feel free. Um, I think maybe whatever where I wanted to start was where I typically start with people is, can you give me your full name and the like? What are its origins? Okay, uh, my full name is Meryl Monique Africa. Um, I don't really know what the origins are because I don't have um, an, an African ethnic name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm what in South Africa we're referred to as colored, or everywhere else would be mixed race, Creole, whatever you want to call. But essentially, we are from a lineage of people that are mixed for generations. So um, I don't know where the last name Africa comes from. I just know that I only know two other colored people with that last name, and they're South African as well. Um, and my first name, I just know that I was named after a good friend of my mother's so I don't think there was any you know traditional yeah. aspect to do it it was just like I like this person I like her personality I want my kid to be like that she was a very funny woman so that's who I'm naming her after okay that's that's fun um so you you are from South Africa yeah. originally when did you come here about 
10, 10 and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I may, what, what prompted your move? Um, so, funny enough, I was actually supposed to, when I graduated from university, I was supposed to actually move to the U.S. Uh, to do an internship, and there was issues with the visa, and essentially the company I was processing my visa through was like, hey, you know, um, you've paid these fees, you didn't get your visa by no fault of your own. Um, do you want to go and, you know, try for another country? And I, I remember when I had, in previous years, done an internship in Boston, um, I had had a roommate at that time was from the Ukraine, um, and he had lived in Montreal, and he'd always talked about how he loved Canada and how mm. nice Canadians were. It was just, you know, it's like being in America, but, like, better. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I was like, well, let me go check it out. It's next door to America, yeah, you know. Um, and then it convinced my friend to study a degree. So um, when I moved to Canada, um, essentially she got into the University of U Manitoba. And so then we decided to move to Canada and we moved to Winnipeg. So that was my first experience. I say, where did you come to? Oh, Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, and I remember when I got to, when I landed, so I flew through Montreal to Winnipeg and I remember the customs lady being like, you sure you want to go to Winnipeg? Like, 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 you can stay here. And I was like, oh, and I don't speak French. She's like, but that doesn't matter. Like, I, are you sure you want to go the rest of the way? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, okay, so, so yeah. You, you had your chance. I had my chance to be in, in the big Canadian city, well, bigger city. Bigger than, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. So, yeah. What, what then prompted you to come from Winnipeg to Toronto? So, I didn't come to Toronto right away. So, I lived in Winnipeg for about three years. Okay. And during that time, I had actually, typical immigrant story. So, I had three jobs. Yeah. So, I used to work for a fintech um, in their call center. So, I used to work there from 7 to 3 30 every day. Um, from 4 to midnight, I worked at the Fairmont Hotel. And then on the weekend, I worked at one of those, you know, uppity clubs where all the rich people go with their families on the weekend. So that was my life for the first probably two or so years in Canada, um, just trying to, you know, make it financially and try to look for a decent job. Um, and then I ended up applying, getting fed up, obviously, and I was like, look, I have a degree, like, from a top uni Australian university. Yeah. Um, this is crazy that I'm working in a freaking call center. Um, and so I ended up applying for jobs, and I landed a job with CIBC as mm -hmm. an associate in their commercial banking um, program. But at that time, they hired somebody in Winnipeg, but the lady really liked me so much in the interview um, because I had made a joke, and I I was like, oh, well, you know, if you need me to work in Yellowknife, I'll move there. At that time, I was like, typical new immigrant. I was like, just give me a chance. I don't yeah. even care where it is, lady. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. go to freaking Yellowknife. Like, please just hire me. Um, and so ended up, um, she was like, hey, I got a spot in Edmonton. I can't find somebody to place there. You, were you serious when you made that joke? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, when do you, when do you, I had actually started another job and I quit that job like a week and I was like, yeah, I got this job at CBC. I'm out. Wow. So you went, to, then you went to Edmonton? Then I moved to Edmonton. And then I lived there for three years. You, you have a knack for picking the most, the, the, the most, um, <laughs> I don't want to disparage anybody who lives in Edmonton, but the sexiest spots in Canada. I was like, you know what, I want the authentic Canadian experience. Yeah, 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 for and, sure. And uh, I feel like I actually got that because when I lived in Edmonton, the job that I had, so I started out as a associate. Mm -hmm. Um, in cash management in commercial banking and then eventually became a manager and when I was manager I looked after basically the territory from Edmonton up to and including the Northwest Territories so eventually I did end up going to Yellowknife right. <laughs> um, but it was it was interesting because I you know I'd been to Yellowknife I'd been to Grand Prairie you get a real sense of what people are like because I feel like people uh, it's not you know, say anything about people in Toronto, but they are kind of in a bubble. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, to me, it was good because I got to see, working in commercial banking, what successful entrepreneurs look like yeah. um, who are not on Bay Street. 
yeah. right? And how you can make money and what that real, real hustle is like. Um, for example, there was a guy, he was one of our clients. This guy didn't finish high school. Okay, um, he went and I think he only got up to grade 10 and then he went and he worked in the oil rigs at some point and then now has um, a vac truck business and is like a multimillionaire. You learn a lot about what real entrepreneurship is because I know now everybody's all about this Instagram, yeah. YouTube influencer. And I'm like, these are real entrepreneurs. This is real hustle. This is real grit. This is real dedication, but it's also real success. Right. And it's the success that stories that are not told. And that's what actually made me like, you know, being in sales and commercial banking because it was just seeing those different journeys each time, seeing somebody who's a millionaire because they own businesses across northern Canada in these remote towns yeah. that nobody's providing access to food, to hairdressers, to whatever yeah, for. They're getting that. And they're super successful and they're super happy. But people sort of, oh well, you live in like a Callaway or wherever, yeah. which is like, you know, a territory up there, and they're like just they just kind of discard you like you're not a you know a big bay street hot shot person right um so to me it was really interesting because i got a real sense of what you know what what real canada is like um if i were to ask you then it's because you've you've had experiences now i'm, I'm seeing you've been to boston you've been to you know a couple of really um big cities in yeah. canada relatively speaking and obviously south africa so where's home it's hard to say, because as much as I like Toronto the most out of all the Canadian cities I've lived in, but I still sometimes I'm like, I don't know if this is home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because since I've graduated university, I've always moved every couple of years. So I've not had that um, kind of foundation, uh -huh. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely don't know if even South Africa is home, because I feel like yeah, I'm, so, um, I'm so... Different in the way that I think, and culturally, I've changed a little bit. I become a bit more Canadian or North American, um, so I don't even know. Like I haven't been back since I've left. Okay. Um, so I don't even know if if I went back, if I'd feel like oh, I belong here. Yeah. If I switch gears now and say, ask you just sort of plainly at a high level, what's what's your profession then? Yeah. So I essentially work in the payments industry. From a schooling perspective, I don't. You may have said this, and I, I forgot. Did, what did you study? So I did a bachelor of um, business systems or business information systems okay. um, at Monash University, which is an Australian university. But at that time, they had a campus in South Africa. Oh, okay. Aside from uh, your your work, your like sort of quote unquote nine to five, and your work at the CA UFP, which we'll get to in a second. You have another job. I feel like now it's a legitimate question I should ask. Do you have a third job or a third? No. Okay. okay. So <laughs> no, those, those are the just, only. They're just, they're just like two things. Okay. Just the two things. Okay, perfect. Okay, so what is the CAUFP? So CAUFP is the Canadian Association for Urban Finance Professionals. Essentially, we're a member-based resource organization um, that sort of, we're trying to build a community of financial professionals, um, well, not even financial, just black professionals on Bay Street, um, giving them an opportunity to connect with one another and build that network. One, to have a, corporate, a link to corporate partners, so it helps them to get a, a access to jobs um, and as well get exposure to thought leadership from those executives um, and then also helping them to build and develop skills so whether that's technical skills or the soft skills that are required for them to essentially move up the ladder. I, I'm going to ask a, a maybe a contentious question yeah. but is this a black only uh, organization or 
Like, is it is it welcoming for all people? Or yeah. So, so I mean, it's it, it's definitely we welcome everyone. Doesn't matter what your race, um, doesn't matter what your gender or your background, whatever. Um, however, we. You know, the mission is for us to essentially create an economy where black people are influential with our leaders. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we do is to address, you know, those concerns, those needs. Um, and again, whether that's, you know, why are we stuck at that manager, senior manager level at most of the, the FIs, right, or most large corporations? Um, why is it that there's not many of us at the C-suite? Why, why is it that when people are that high up, they sort of pull away from the crowd mm -hmm. so we're you're you're hard to find you're there but nobody knows about you mm -hmm. why is that um so kind of just you know um that's kind of what we're trying to address is how do we kind of build that brotherhood um out on on Bay street Oh, that's great. That's great. What's, what led you to the CAUFP then? So when I moved to Toronto, um, well, the reason I wanted to move to Toronto from Edmonton, besides the fact that I like had very like less than a handful of friends, mm -hmm. um, was also, I remember when I came to Toronto for training, um, we, I just remember seeing all these black people in suits. And I know it sounds silly, but I was like, it is so nice to see all these black people on Bay Street who are not people who are cleaning your lunch table, or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. And then, so when I came in, and then when I started the organization, obviously when you're in your office, you don't see as many. You only see them on the street or at events. And I was like, okay, I need to find a place where I can network. So I went online, and I went to a bunch of different networking events, trying to find, okay, where's the space that I feel like I fit? And then yeah. eventually I went to a CUFP event, and... I was like, okay, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's really funny you say that. So I came from Montreal, yeah. and there's, there's good representation in Montreal, but not necessarily as widespread as Toronto. But I know when I moved here, I was struck by that same phenomenon yeah. as to say, like, oh, my gosh, they're like, I'm not the only black person in a boardroom, and there are VPs and yeah. presidents and, and suits walking the streets, men, women. There is, like, there's black uh, faces. Yeah on Bay Street, as, yeah. as you said, like in, in yeah. positions of, of quote-unquote power. Yeah. So it, it, it's, like, it's when you say that, it's interesting because that's the way I feel. Yeah, especially cause coming from South Africa. Because remember, yes, South Africa had apartheid, but then we had this point where there's a lot of new wealth coming in, right? Mm -hmm. So all these people were starting to get opportunities because South Africa's had a mandate for black economic empowerment, where companies were mandated to have a certain number of black people in executive positions, right? right? So I came from being the first first wave of kids to actually go to interracial schools and then from there going into the workforce where if you had a degree not like the road was paved in gold for you but mm. you really like if you became a chartered accountant you more than likely by the time you're 40 are or 45 are probably going to be a, C um, a CFO somewhere mm. right mm. Um, and there's so yeah there's a path and so for me it was like going from that to coming to Canada and you know you go and you work for a company where they're getting awards for you know being inclusive and all these things and you show up and I'm like it's me and the EA are the only two non-whites and I'm the only non-Canadian right where is all this representation that, yeah, that, that y'all yeah, are talking yeah. about? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so, yeah. so when they sent me for training and I went to like you know I came to Toronto and I was like yeah, this is Johannesburg. Yeah. Here we go. Here we like, these. This is what I want to see. This right. is you hear Canada's a melting pot. Like okay, this is the melting pot because the rest of it is 
you know, it's all rice. There ain't no potatoes, no carrots, no peas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. This is the true melting yeah, pot. Yeah, yeah. So, so when did so what led you to the presidency then? Um, so I started off um, volunteering with CAUFP. Uh, I started off with the youth summit that we have every year. Yeah. So I volunteered in helping with that, and then the next year I decided, okay, well, I want to join the board in a more formal capacity. Um, and what's funny is um, I signed up late to join the board, so the only position that was available at that time was the VP external. Nobody was running for it. And I kind of was like, well, I want to run and I want to make sure I'm not competing. So I'll just, what, whatever <laughs> I'll this is, I'll just, yeah. I was like, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the job responsibilities? Um, I was like, okay, what? I got to go look for speakers and get space and find sponsorship. That's like cold calling. That's my job in commercial <laughs> banking. Fine, I'll do that. Um, did that. And then essentially when the last president, um, you know, he was going out to myself and the VP internal, both women, and he was like, yeah, I wanted, make, wanted to set it up to ensure that we have a female president. So I am now currently the fourth female president for right. CUFP in the 20 years in his existence. Um, and the last time there was a female president, I think, was about six years ago. So you were, um, I'm going to jump to the, the thing you just mentioned. So you are the fourth female president. Yeah. Within 20 years is quite impressive, yeah. relatively speaking. Maybe not the most impressive thing in the world, but hey, yeah. we live in a world where female presidents is a rare thing. How does it feel being the fourth female president of such a, uh, an important organization? So what's funny is, so I'm one of those people that I don't, I just put my hand out to do stuff. So I don't really think of like, oh, like, what is this going to matter mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. member? Like, I was just like, okay, cool. Like, we need a president. I'll, I'll, I'll step, I'll do it, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's funny because when I got voted in, um, I remember there were quite a number of women who came to send me messages who were like, you know, this means a lot because um, I'm actually going to renew my membership. I didn't, I didn't come for the last year. And now that we have a female president, I'm actually coming back. Uh, and so it, then it sunk into me like, oh. Like, this means something. Yeah. yeah. And I have to think about that in a lot of the things that I do. So that means, yes, there's a lot more pressure. Um, there's my own reputation to make sure that everything runs well because that's also my, if I want to be a leader on Bay Street, then I have to think about everything that I'm doing now. But yeah, at the same time, it is. It makes it very rewarding because I think people think, "Oh, I'm going to join a board. It's going to be fun," and they don't realize it's it's work. It's work. I, I, I realize it's sort of like an awkward question to ask, but I'm asking it as a man, yeah. and, and I think it's just I'm, I'm a yeah. point of curiosity. Do you feel that you have some sort of like you said? There's a lot of pressure, but do you feel that there is? a burden of representation being a woman in that role? Like, do you feel like you have to um, do more? Yes. Okay. Is, is that is that a Merrill thing, or is that a, no, something I, it's you feel external? Both, but um, you will be surprised at even and the way that men kind of interact with you. Okay. Right, um, and you you hear always the stories of female leaders, just like oh, like I tip up with certain things, and then until you experience it, you're like, oh, I didn't expect this from my peers, um, because as if I was a man and I expected certain things, there wouldn't be a conversation about, you know, whether it's how I'm treating you right. or um, you giving me the amount of pushback or respect on certain things. Um, so, yeah, there, there's definitely, you are met with that, even from people that you didn't. And I don't think, that, like, with a lot of people, it's, it's they mean to treat you a certain way. I, I think what I'm learning from this as, from the female perspective, is sometimes it's just, somebody doesn't realize, like, 
they treat you a little differently because you're a female leader, right. in a sense, in the way that they approach you. So, yeah, there is, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I could imagine, <laughs> yeah. I could imagine. So my experience with, with the CAUFP is, yeah. is very limited. Yeah. Um, but I have noticed of late that the organization seems to be more, like there's more stuff going on. Yeah. So I think I, I, I and this is absolutely no slight against past presidents, it's just maybe I'm more attuned to it, but it, there certainly seems to be more activity. Yeah. So Where, where's that coming from? I will say I probably have put on the most events than any other president. I, to date, we've done twelve, which is what we do a year because we normally yeah. do. And we're halfway through the year. And we're halfway through the year, okay. so we put on the most events. The, that came from the fact that I wanted to ensure that we have a, a loyal membership base. So there's a lot of people who come all the time, and I wanted to ensure that we have programming that's diverse for them. Um, And that we're also stepping it up a little bit. Because as you're seeing now in the market, there's a lot of people, a lot of black groups popping up. And which is good because you want people to be represented within their different industries. But at the same time, then how do you distinguish and differentiate yourself and also add value, right? Right. So that's where that's come from. We've made some great partnerships um, where I've also felt like there's certain things we could do better. So enhancing existing programming with some of these things. And then also how do we drive revenue? Because I think a lot of people assume, well, you're sponsored by all of these big banks. So Mm -hmm. you you guys must be rolling in money. Mm -hmm. We're like every... uh, any other non-profit. Yeah. We have to go and ask for sponsorship. You might get a lot, you might get a little, it, it, you never know. Yeah. It's whatever you know is available. And so ensuring that we can operate at a certain level. So that's where you're seeing that coming from. Also what I'm doing is a lot more um, social media. So um, we've re- we're releasing you know videos on the board members where they're doing interviews and talking about themselves and why it's important to join a board. Yeah. Um, just kind of putting us out there because I feel like we've been around for 20 years and yeah. when I go to a sponsor and somebody's like, I've never heard of you, me, I'm like, this is ridiculous. We, we've been around, we do amazing things. How is it that you don't know about us, but you know about, for example, the National Black MBA, who they're in the U.S., you know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, it's... But we're right here. We're right here. We're yeah. doing a lot. Um, and we have a great membership base, you know? We have talent that's there that's ready to come and work for you, um, but you need to be aware of that. So, right. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get us out there. You mentioned before about sort of motivating and leading... Uh, uh, staff is the wrong word because it's yeah. sort of a non-profit but teams I guess yeah. um, who are not incentivized from a financial perspective to work for the CAUFP yeah. so if, if you know how does how does that work how does that dynamic happen how do you get people to do things and yeah. in ways when they're not incentivized. So I think one of the good things is everybody that joins the board, collectively, we're all there for the same thing. We want to see black people succeed. Mm-hmm. So it's always reminding people of that. Because what happens is you're going to be on a board, everybody's going to be passionate about where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a leader, sometimes you have to be the bad guy and not everybody likes your decision. Um, so you have to constantly remind people of, look, we're here, we're putting in all this time and all this effort because we want to do great for the greater community. We want to see them succeed. We want to give them opportunities that we never had. Um, so we, at the end of the day, you have to keep coming back to that. And then, you know, pull on the heartstrings and that kind of gets people yeah. to be motivated. So, If I were to ask you, you said your, your family came to visit recently. If I were to sit down with them yeah. and you were not in the room yeah. and, I, I, and I told them what you were doing, yeah. both as, pre- as president and, and what you do here at work, yeah. 
would they be surprised or would they be like, yeah, yeah, I, I knew Meryl would be doing that for sure. Like, is this, yeah. is this something that... I, I don't think they would think I'd be doing this. Um, my mom always jokes when I was younger that um, I used to, I think she thought I was going to be a pastor. Okay. I mean, I was very, you know, I grew up very much in the church and that kind of thing. Um, so I think she knew probably there would be a form of giving back to the community. But I don't think this is, <laughs> she probably would have been like, oh, yeah, I just thought she was going to, like, you know, be a youth leader or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, so then, you know, there's a question I didn't, I was thinking of asking before, but I think you've answered it, but why why is the CAUFP important and why yeah, so why is it important and then, and then I'll ask you a question another why why it's so look at the end of the day like I said I come from South Africa so I've, I come from, and I think a lot of Africans um, and Caribbean people, we come from countries where you're used to seeing black people in positions of influence, for the most part, right? And I think for the Canadians who are born here and for the new immigrants, because when you come in, there is a bit of a shock as to, okay, well, where are we? So it is important that we have, uh, you know, memberships like this who are going and talking to the corporate partners um, and positioning it that there's talent, that, you know, accessibility. Um, and also, we need to be real about the skills where we're shortcoming, right? And you can it's easier for me and you to have that conversation where you can say, hey, Meryl, the reason maybe you can get promoted to director or VP is because you don't have X, Y, Z, and we can have a real conversation because we come from the same ethnic group, like, you know what I mean? Versus when somebody else might give that feedback, you may not necessarily digest that for whatever reason. Right. Right. So I think it's important just in terms of for our own self-development, for our own network, but it's also important for the street to see that we're there. Yeah. You know, we keep talking about black black excellence. Black excellence is real. So is, is part of where you're sort of almost like rewriting the, the, the perception yeah. out there, right? Or, you know, for what it's worth. Um, is that the most challenging part of your, your job? Um, and if not, like, what is? The most challenging, I think, is getting people to understand what the value is with CAFP. And I think part of that comes from there's a lot of um, groups, right? And I think it's with every ethnic group. You see that in the Asian community, South Asian community. Course, yeah. And so sometimes when a sponsor has had a bad run-in with one, everybody else is judged on that. So now I'm working twice as hard, even if I know that our organization does a better job. And that's why when you come to see UFP event, we're very much about if it starts at 6 o'clock, it starts at 6 o'clock. There's no African time or mm. black people time, <laughs> right? We're all about that. We're all about being on brand, um, you know, because if we say we represent black, black excellence as a community, we need to show that in our events. We need to show that in the way that we you know, deal with corporate partners. And we need to make sure that we train you up in the professional development skills so that you can go and represent that as being part of our membership base. How long is your mandate? Two years. It's two years. So you're in year one. Yes. Jeez, seven months in. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just I know. The, the I got to make it to December 2020. Yeah. Whoa, that's great. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? I that's a, I don't know if I really thought hard about that, which is funny because you would think that before stepping up, I think I think I do, I don't have I just know that I need to do something for women. I haven't decided what that's going to be, but I do know that we need to do more for Black females because there's statistics that even show um, that black women are at sort of the bottom of the total pole in the corporate sphere. So how do we elevate them? How do we give them that support 
to be able to be successful, and that includes myself, right? Um, it's great for people to say, go and get a mentor and do all these things, but like, how do you really build something where women kind of get that support and move up the ranks and really, you know, make it? So, you know, I'll, I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate yeah. and just ask you, when you go home at night and you look in the mirror, do you not perceive your actual, just the fact that you are the fourth black president of this organization as advancing that cause, or are you like, that's not enough? Like That's not enough. Okay. okay. To me, it's... To me, to show female advancement, we need a black woman in C-suite in at least one of the top five banks. That, to me, is progress. Second floor. My full name is Chidiogo, Blessing Akunili. And Chidiogo is an, they're all evil. Chidiogo is an evil name that means God is gracious. And then my middle name is Blessing. My last name can be translated into my cup overflows, Akunili. So I like to think of it as God is gracious with blessings and my cup overflows. It's <laughs> my name. What do you feel about the concept of the glass ceiling? Do you, do you and and perhaps the concept of the, the glass cliff? The glass ceiling. My take on it is that it starts with you, right? And it starts with that imposter syndrome that I'm sort of alluding to. Because society has put a glass ceiling, but the point is, then somehow that puts also a limited belief in yourself as a woman in myself. So that's a. So B, yes, glass ceiling is a fact. We don't need to discuss it. It exists from the, you know, we're seeing the U.S. Um, football team and, you know, the salary discrepancy. That's like very clear, obvious, one clear, obvious. So glass ceiling might not just be that you don't go high enough, you're not paid high enough, you're not given the opportunities, the, all of that. So that exists, but it's how how we navigate it. And we can navigate it, of course, by by advocating and fighting this system, but also realizing that we're shaped by the system and fighting the parts of us that might want to doubt what we have to bring to the table. As for the glass cliff, I I believe that's something I've, I've, I've noticed working with so many women is that, especially high executives, is that they feel alone. And here I'm talking maybe with African women, it's the space that I work with mostly. You get to the top, I have friends, I have women that I work with that are the top, top, top of a big organization and they're sometimes very young and they're all alone. So for me, the glass cliff is a dangerous one because you being over a cliff and on glass is not a great place to be. Third floor. So do you think people who get there are, uh, that disconnect, is it born from a... a fear of of falling back or is it a um like have you thought through what that might be it's different for different people so for some people there is the if i'm the only whatever in my industry um and maybe there was one person who came along and that person didn't do too well and he's made it terrible for the rest of the black people you so you distance yourself then there's others who they're there but you've just forgotten how hard it is and you just assume that everybody else will get along the way. So you're not doing enough. For me, if you're at that VP level and above, regardless of segment or whatever, 
you should be advocating for CAUFP, for other organizations like us. You should be pushing to get us funding. You should be pushing to hire at least a certain number of black people. Rapid fire, what comes to mind first? Why are you here? What do you mean by here? Like, oh. not, not here in this room, but like, what, why is why is Meryl on this earth? Because Meryl's parents had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're on a vacation, okay, mm-hmm. which you don't seem to know what to do, I don't think you... <laughs> vacation is what people do when they go... To, South Africa, Canada, United States, pick one. Ugh, wow. I guess the US. Yeah? Yeah, despite all its problems. <laughs> okay, that fixed. Uh, I'm assuming Boston? Is it, or... No, New York. New York? Wow, yeah. Of course, it's the quietest. <laughs> interesting i have to ask it what's better three jobs two jobs or one job <laughs> i don't know <laughs> right now two jobs because at least one of the jobs pays me a lot better than when i had three jobs <laughs> no job would be ideal <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're working towards in the biopic the movie about your life yeah. who plays meryl I'm still trying to think of that. Like, who would play Meryl? I don't know. I don't know. You're not sure? I am not sure. All right. If you think about it and you co- it comes to you, yes. send me a note. This, the last question is, yeah. what's the name of the movie? Huh. Struggle in the City. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I, I think who would play me is probably somebody like Viola Davis, like somebody with a lot of that natural character. So there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank all my guests for their participation and candor. Audio for this episode is brought to you courtesy of our producer. John Kitt, and recorded at Corner Studios in Toronto. Music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed, with permission, by Anjo. Remember to find us wherever you do your listening. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and even SoundCloud. Listen, like, share. Until we meet again, thanks for listening.